When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 387, and today we are talking about books being released on November 8th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa! Liberty! We're here. We are here! How's it going? I'm good. I, um... I was going to say, I need to apologize because first and foremost, my audio is going to be a little different than it normally is because I am not in my usual place of recording, but we're here and we're recording and we're talking about books and it's all going to be fine. You're in space! <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Possibly. It would be hard to record without any gravity, I guess, unless you had like a headset. <laughs> I literally had a dream once, strangely kind of about this, like I was trying to work from space for reasons that make absolutely no sense. And I kept trying to call you to say that I was going to be late to my recording. So you're in my brain. Whoa. <laughs> I don't think I would like to go to space. I do not like heights. I don't I don't think I would do well up in space. Unless someone's like, we're going to put you in this rocket with a million books and we're going to shoot you towards the sun. You know, good luck. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Sure. That, I, like, that cool. I would be fine with. <laughs> that's okay. Oh. <laughs> I recently went to Disneyland for the first time in I don't know how long, and I went on the Space Mountain ride, and my very, like, childish thought as I was, you know, zooming around on that very fast and enjoyable ride was just like, oh, I could never actually go to space, because, like, this is fast to me, as though that has anything to do with <laughs> Like, I literally thought that to myself. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll scratch that off. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what space is like. Yeah. Super. They yep. send you on a roller coaster. You didn't know this? <laughs> nope. Uh, I know now. <laughs> oh. I was just going to say, like, you know, speaking of the sun, um, we were supposed to record yesterday, but I had an eye appointment and then I had all these things happening and it was going to be cutting it really close. So I said to you, like, can we just do it tomorrow? And then it turned out I went to my eye appointment and they dilated my pupils, which was like, so, I mean, they said to me, we would like to dilate your pupils. And I was like, well, isn't that something that you need someone to drive you around for? Yep. And they said, no, no, we're just going to do it a tiny bit. Because, you know, the doctor, I keep saying, the doctor was like, I think I see something and I want to check something. Sure. But we can make another appointment and you can come back. And like, who's who's going to be like, you yeah, know, no, let me just wait a few more weeks to find out what it exactly. is that you think that you might see. You know, so I was yep. like, okay. So they they did it and everything was fuzzy. <laughs> like not like super fuzzy cuz she she explained to me. She said, you know, this is only a tiny bit. This is not like the normal amount that we do like mm. when you have to have someone drive for you and you wear the black sunglasses and you know, but everything was still kind of fuzzy and it it really stunk because then I had to wait several more hours to watch the Weird Al movie which <laughs> oh, started yeah. streaming yesterday. <laughs> like I had plans to like record the podcast Watch the Weird Al movie. Then I moved the podcast, but I was like, here, I'm going to go home and watch the Weird Al movie. No, you're not. Several more hours. <laughs> but it's weird. Like, eyes are weird. They are. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of everything I was saying to her, you know, she just kept saying, that's because you're older. 
that's because you're older. Aww. That's because you're older. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. It's like, I'm fine with that, you know. Yeah. But I just want to make sure that these are the things that are happening for a reason. Sure, Not sure. because, you know, aliens are licking my eyeballs while I sleep or something. <laughs> you know, like, I want now to know, like, this back is what's space. <laughs> yeah. I want to know that these are the reasons these things are happening. Uh, um, so, yes. So my eyeballs stopped being fuzzy, like, at, like, 5 o'clock last night, and I got to watch the Weird Al movie, which was delightful, mostly. I just, I love him. Plus, I love Daniel Radcliffe. I love him so much. I love that choices that he makes as an adult actor, like... Yes. And I just think he's very interesting, so... Yay. It was good fun. And there were so many celebrities in it, pretending to be other celebrities, which is also hilarious. I didn't... Yeah, I realized how many people were in that until I, I think just yesterday kind of went down a rabbit hole about looking at the cast list. I was like, oh, okay, so I need to make time for this. I mean, I was going to anyway, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But enough about movies. We are going to talk about books after we hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by Katie Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant rivals-to-lovers debut romance. Genie Nescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. All right. So I'm very excited about my first pick, which I read, I think, in 
January. So if I don't remember all the details, remember what my eye doctor said. I am getting older. So um, hopefully I got it all right. And it is now is not the time to panic by Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson is the author of Nothing to See Here, which is the fabulous, fabulous novel that came out a few years ago about the nanny to the children who catch on fire, catch on fire and are totally fine but spread fire to everything else. So kind of a problem. Um, I love that book so much. And I believe they've been working on making it into a sh- I, show. I think so. Movie. But, you know, I mean, they buy the rights to everything now. Yeah. And you have to actually see something saying, like, it's in production, you know, before yep. you can actually say it. But I, I feel like I saw something that it was in production. Anyway, let's move on to this book that came out today. Now is not the time to panic. This is about two teens in the 1990s who bond over art and their social situations and their family situations. It's set in Coalfield, Tennessee, which is a pretty boring town, at least if you ask the kids. Frankie is 16, and she has lived there her whole life uh, with her triplet older brothers and her mom. And now it is summer, and she's 16, and she doesn't have a job, and she doesn't have any friends. She's kind of outgrown her friends, and she doesn't really know what has happened, but she finds herself kind of lonely. Uh, And she's hanging out at the pool with her older brothers, and she meets this new kid, Zeke. And she sees something in him. Like, she identifies that he's kind of an outcast, a kind of quote-unquote loser. Uh, and she recognizes it in him and, and decides she wants to be his friend. And then he comes over and they hang out and they discover, like, they both feel betrayed by their cheating fathers. Frankie uh, was abandoned by her father, who basically just left and decided to start his life all over again with a new family and a new daughter, who he also names Frankie. Like, he's just, like, pretending like they don't even exist anymore. And Zeke's mom brought him to his grandmother's house in this small town where Frankie lives because his father was also cheating. Uh, And so now he's like had his whole life uprooted. So they're friendless and kind of sad and they hang out a lot and they decide that they want to create art. They get to talking and and they want to do something like they're because they're like bored. There's nothing to do in this town. They want to create art. What they end up making are these posters. And by posters, I mean like eight by 10. They have a copy machine for reasons that, you know, you'll find out in the book. And they make these posters that say, the edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives and the law is skinny with hunger for us. And they print hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of this flyer with like these, these are Frankie's words and Zeke makes these illustrations. And it's like teenage entertainment. They decide they want to hang them around the town. Like, secretly. Like, covert operation. And they think it's pretty funny. And they think they're being cool and mysterious. And they start putting these little flyers, like these posters everywhere, like sticking them to things and putting them in mailboxes and, like, filling abandoned buildings with them. And they keep printing more and more. But what happens is that the people in the town are like, where are these coming from? What does this mean? And not everybody, most everybody, recognizes it as art or a teenage prank. And some people start to float the rumors that there are Satanists in the town or there are killers who are putting out a warning and and there's going to be some horrible, devastating thing happen in the town. And the cops begin to get involved and their project has gotten completely out of hand. And I'm not going to say more about that except to tell you that their art project, like I said, goes horribly wrong. And it turns into an incident that Frankie, as an adult, 
thinks that she has outrun until in present day, which is actually how the novel opens in the intro, she receives a call from a reporter who mentions that summer, who says, I think, you know, you were part of the Coalfield Panic of 1996. And Frankie realizes that she's finally been found out. Now, does she stay with her life or does she flee? It's not a very long novel. It's only like 256 pages. It just beautifully and painfully captures the boredom of adolescence. How it feels like pretty much everyone else is stupid and useless and only you and maybe like one other person really get the world. And how as a kid you feel like you're having thoughts that no one else has had before. And it captures the anguish and anxiety of first kisses and first love and the desperate need to be loved and to feel seen and understood and the ignorance of small towns and of parents sometimes. It's painfully self-aware in the best heart-squeezing way and reminded me once again that you could not give me enough books to go back to being a teenager again ever. Never, 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 never. Um, but it's just so good. And it's called Now Is Not The Time To Panic by Kevin Wilson. I love Kevin Wilson so much. Like I... Yes! I love just freaking people out when they need a book recommendation. Being like, I have one about combusting kids and then seeing their faces. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I mean, he has he has a couple of uh, great... He has The Family Fang, Family, which yeah. I believe was his first novel. I think so. And before that was... Tunneling to the Center of the Earth, which is a story collection. And then he had a story collection after Family Fang, which I'm forgetting, but it has an elephant dressed in a suit on the cover. Yep. I love him. So good. Uh, I knew you would pick that one, and so it's fine, but I absolutely still... Yeah, I would have fought you for it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm still going to read it. That's my constant thing I have to remind myself. It's like, <laughs> just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean you can't read it, Diaz. Like, let's get with it. So, anyway. <laughs> no, it's mine. No one else can read it. Stop. Stop looking at it. <laughs> Anyways, so time for my first pick, which is such a cute romance. It's Better Than Fiction by Alexa Martin. This is an adorable romance set in a bookstore in Denver, Colorado. So it's, you know, going to just have a lot of draw immediately because, you know, us book lovers love books about books. But the setup is a little different than I was expecting. The owner is named Drew, and she inherited the shop from her grandmother, who had a huge hand in raising her when her Debbie dad basically ditched his family to go start another one. So like, as a result, she has a half sister that she's doesn't have like the best relationship with, but she's trying. Her name is Daisy. And she's like, you know, trying to kind of get back in her life. Um, the bookshop though, which is called the book nook was, you know, everything to that grandmother. And this woman was under no illusions about the kind of man that her son was. So she left the shop to drew in her will and also left specific instructions that it should very deliberately not go to her son, to Drew's dad. So that causes some friction. Drew, however, doesn't read. (laughs) She doesn't like books. Like she just doesn't. (laughs) She does like stories, but she prefers her stories told in pictures. She's actually a really um, talented photographer, but she keeps the store going because of everything that it meant to this woman that meant so much to her, even though it's a lot of work as anybody who's worked in a bookstore knows. And she, she feels way in over her head most of the time because it's, you know, razor thin margins in a bookstore and it's, it's just hard to run that kind of business. So the store also has a book club called the Dirty Birds, who I love. Um, its members are these seven hilarious, naughty old biddies who were really good friends with Drew's grandmother. And so 
they love to meddle and, you know, they're looking out for Drew, but it, you know, comes across as very meddling. And so one day they ask her, like they often do, like to, you know, please join them for their book club. They're going to read this really popular romance novel. And Drew is like, ah, yeah, maybe I'll read it later. And they're like, how about you read it now? Because we got the owner or not the owner, pardon me, the author of that book to come talk at book club this Saturday. The guy's name is Jasper Williams. He's going to be at the store. And Drew is like, okay, great. Like she assumes that it's going to be some, you know, crotchety old dude mansplaining what women want. So she's like, well, I'm going to come because it's my store. But like, ugh. Except that Jasper is, you know, he's fine. He's fine. She sees him like walking up into the store, doesn't realize it's him. And like her and her best friend are looking at him thinking he's just some rando customer. And they're like plotting ways for Drew to go over and possibly introduce herself. But then he comes over and introduces himself and makes it clear who he is. She's like, oh, <laughs> like, cool. He's, you know, the author that's supposed to be here. And they kind of strike up a conversation, which, you know, we're starting to kind of get the sense that, the you know, the women from the book club maybe had something to do with this meeting. But he is in Denver to research his next book where he wants to set his next romance. So he creates a, a book like bucket list for Drew once he finds out that she's not a reader, you know, definitely not a romance reader. And then return uh, what she's going to do for him is help him explore like the Denver scene with all these, you know, really cool, like, like local activities so that he can do research for his manuscript. Um, so they do. They start doing all this super fun stuff. They go river rafting. They go to local restaurants and like B&Bs and, you know, feelings start to develop because this is a romance novel. But then some pretty gross family drama happens. It has to do with her dad and, you know, all the things I mentioned earlier. And so she, she is kind of stuck trying to figure out what her next steps are, if she believes in love, if how she should react to this new piece of information that she now has. And, you know, things ensue. <laughs> um, it's a romance. So you know where this is ultimately headed, but it's just, just really fun and delightful to read about. She is a Drew is a mixed race woman. Like she's her, I think her father's white, but her mom was black. So there's some discussions of, of race and the way that, you know, it impacts her life and how it's impacted her, her dating. The romance author is just a perfect, I wouldn't say cinnamon roll of a man because that's not quite what I would describe him as, but he's just a, a gentleman and there is, you know, some sexiness, but it's more like towards the end of the book. It's just really fun to watch them together and to do all this really like fun stuff. And it was like going on their dates with them. <laughs> it was just really entertaining. Um, but with the, you know, heroine who like didn't think she liked to read and at the end kind of does. So it's just very sweet in all the ways and, and very funny too. So it was a lot of fun to read. I uh, missed working in an indie bookstore as I was reading some of the stuff in there. So again, that's Better Than Fiction by Alexa Martin. All right. My next pick for today is Even Though I Knew the End by C.L. Polk. Polk is the author of the Witchmark Fantasy Trilogy, which I know that we've talked about on the show. They're also the author of The Midnight Bargain, which I... Yeah. I don't remember if we talked about it on the show. We might have. I think I did. My brain is not, is not pulling that information up right at this moment. Great. Excellent. And this is a fantasy noir novella set in 1930s Chicago. I can't say too much about this book because I don't want to give away some of the things that I loved the most about it. Mostly because I, I read the description and they're not mentioned there. So I feel like I'm not going to spoil that for you either. But I loved it so much. This so perfectly captures the noir style, but also there's magic and supernatural creatures. So Helen is, let's say, kind of a supernatural detective. 
And a client sends her to the site of the latest murder by the White City Vampire. Now, Helen has the ability, normally, to do some things and divine the spirit of the deceased in a case. Like, she goes to the murder site and hangs a thing and crystals and can talk to the spirit of the deceased. And the spirit's like, hey, this person did it. Case solved. But... In this case, when she goes to this latest White City vampire murder scene, the spirit is gone. She does see some really spooky stuff, though, when she takes some photographs. She lights some unusual lighting to bring some stuff to to light. I guess I said light very many times there. Uh, And she sees some really spooky stuff. And then she runs into some members of the Brotherhood of Sorcerers who do not take kindly to Helen. Uh, She's an outcast in the magic community in her community because many years before she sold her soul to the devil to save her brother. And even though it's a very noble thing, trucking with the devil is an automatic dismissal from your community. You're outcast and it also cuts your life short. The devil always makes a deal that you get 10 more years if you sell your soul. In this case, I don't know, like I've never met the devil personally that I know of. I don't know if this is like a common thing, the 10-year, you know, wait limit. But anyway, in this book, it is. So Helen sold her soul, was given 10 more years to live, and now at the beginning of this book, she only has three more days. And so she's working to save as much money as she possibly can because she wants to leave it for the love of her life, her girlfriend, Edith. Now, Edith, they met in a secret lesbian bar. They fell in love. They've been together for a few years. They want to move away someday and start over in California. Edith thinks anyway, she doesn't know that Helen is on a deadline, literally. And you know, she's not, Helen doesn't think she can tell her. So she's just going to like leave a letter with all the money and be like, I'm really sorry. This is what happened. You know, she doesn't have the heart to tell her, but what Helen sees and encounters at the crime scene has her seriously shook. And she decides she doesn't want anything else to do with it. Uh, she doesn't want to look into the case because when she tells her client, you know, oh, I, I couldn't find the spirit, you know, the client wants more. And she's like, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And then her client makes her an offer she cannot refuse. If she can find the White City vampire, the client can get Helen back her soul. And just like that, all her dreams will come true. She'll be able to live her natural life. She can get together with Edith. They can move to California. It'll be great. So she can't say no to that. So she decides to take the case. But, you know, horrible things are going to go wrong. It's just a really fun noir, you know, and there's so many of the the things from noir, you know, the client is a long-legged femme fatale, Helen, you know, lives and works out of her office, she has a big-hearted girlfriend who, you know, does charity work and is just the sweetest, you know, and she's going to take this one last case. I loved the magic systems and the several reveals. This was also super romantic, you know, it's not a romance, but I mean, it's like their love for each other is so amazing and her love for her brother. And I just, I'm going to say love again. I loved it. So I do want to give content warnings for homophobia, institutionalization, violence, gore, and murder. This is Even Though I Knew the End by C.L. Polk, which also reminds me, I still have not come up with a word or heard anyone come up with a word. I want like a, a great word for when you're reading the book. And you come across the title. Oh, you know, yes. Just like naturally right there. Like I want there to be a word for that, but I, I don't, I don't have one, but I get so excited. Like, it's the title. You know? 
It's like it's like I'm fangirling when I see the title <laughs> in a book, you know? I get very excited. So I, I just, I loved everything about this. It feels like we should ask the Germans. I feel like the Germans have a word for this. But they I probably do. <laughs> or maybe the Japanese. They always have cool words for like stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the coolest words. We'll find out. <laughs> That's another book that I absolutely was like, oh, fine. Uh, when I saw she picked it because I love C.L. Polk and everything they write. Um, but yeah, I will read that too. Well, like I said, very short. Won't take you long. Yeah, I'll probably do that this weekend. <laughs> Uh, my next pick is actually a book that came out last week it's called The Cloisters by Katie Hayes and uh, not being funny 100% serious I saw this book in like my Libro FM you know queue of books I could download I saw the like kind of you know gilded cover and the word The Cloisters and I was like ooh Sinister Nuns and I downloaded it and that's like so far off from what this book is about but that's what got me to read it The cloisters here are the famed Met Cloisters, which are a Gothic museum and garden at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. So our main character is a young woman named Anne who comes to New York to escape the grief and tragedy of her past. She has just graduated or recently graduated, I believe, college and is like looking to get into grad school. She studied um, like Renaissance medieval art renaissance or medieval or both she's the art of oldie times and so she decides to go to new york and thinks this is you know gonna be the thing that changes her life she's expecting to spend the summer as a curatorial associate at the met but then when she gets there she basically finds out that the person she was going to work under has been sent overseas and her position is now you know redundant like they don't need her but at the very last minute, somebody named Patrick kind of comes walking in, knocks on the door of the you know office that she's in and says, hey, would you instead want to come you know, work for me? And so that's how she gets assigned to the cloisters to work under this man, Patrick, and other researchers that are studying the origins of divination, specifically the occult and like tarot and how that might have been. And they're pretty positive was a practice that was around for like a lot longer than we think. So Patrick, again, is that lead researcher. We also have Rachel, who works under him, who's this very wealthy, mysterious friend, quote unquote, of Anne's. Like, you you just get the sense that she's got ulterior motives, but she does definitely take her under her wing. And there's Leo, who is the gardener, but is also has an interest in the occult, and he is like a love interest of Anne's. And there's, you know, things to find out about him. And at first, again, Anne is just happy to have this job because, again, she wanted to come to New York to escape things from her past. And she's like, this is, yeah, great. This is going to help me get into, like, grad school. And goes along with even some of the more out there theories that these researchers propose. But her very casual curiosity starts to turn dark and a little bit more obsessive when she finds this 15th century deck of tarot cards while on, like, a, just call it, like, a research mission with Patrick And she realizes through kind of playing around with the cards that there's like something more to this deck than like meets the eye. And so this deck could not only potentially legitimize the practice of divination, but hold the key to predicting the future, maybe something. So that's kind of all I want to say about the book so that the rest can be something that unfolds for you without spoiling. The one thing I, so I really liked the book. That's what I'm talking about it, right? It was a lot of fun. Like the ending itself, I was like, oh, okay. And then literally the last like few sentences, I was like, oh, oh all right. <laughs> but what I, I do want to say is that the book, I think, is kind of pub- like pub- uh, not publicized, um, promoted as a, being a little more about the occult and being like dark and sinister than I think it ultimately is. Like it's still got elements of that and it's really fun. 
to spend time kind of like in the, you know, art and museum world and the kind of secrets and scandals that lie within, but it is not as, again, like dark, witchy, occult, like spine tingly as a lot of the descriptions I saw for the book would like imply. So still a lot of fun. Just know what you're going into, but I, I think it's a really enjoyable read and I, I kind of breezed through it. So that again is The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. All right, two thoughts. One, I can never say no to a secret history comp, so I did read this. And once again, mm, not a secret history comp. I literally forgot to say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many, like there are so many books that are great on their own, but they're just like, oh, uh, college students and dark exactly. things happening. Secret history, and, and it's, not. Like, it's not. If you want to read it's a book not. that's just like the secret history, <laughs> this is not it. No. Um, also, uh, I want to point out that Erin Morgenstern, author of The Night Circus and Starless Sea, has her own tarot card set coming out next week. <gasps> That's which right. Was pretty awesome. I got it. Oh. I don't know anything about tarot, but I've been <laughs> looking at them because they're beautiful. It's called The Phantom Wise Tarot. It's a 78 card deck, and she wrote the guidebook. So I'm hoping to like read the guidebook and maybe learn something from it. I don't know. It just always reminds me of my, my favorite joke from Stephen Wright, the comedian, where he said... Uh, I played poker with a tarot deck last night. I got a full house and four people died. <laughs> it's just, you know, like, I don't I don't understand tarot at all. But, um, yeah, so that's what I have to say about those. And also, now, those are books that are out today that we have read or out, you know, recently. And here are some more of today's releases in hardcover and paperback that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read and I am going to kick it off with The Grim Keys, The Legacy of Slavery in an American Family by Carrie K. Greenidge. This is about the Grim Key sisters, Sarah and Angeline, uh, who were famous abolitionists. They left their privileged lives on a plantation in South Carolina and moved to the North where they wrote anti-slavery pamphlets. And they were among the most influential abolitionists of their time. But... Greenidge wants to shine a light on their black relatives. Greenidge is a historian and is taking a look at the black relatives of these white abolitionist sisters. You know, she they had an older brother who owned a woman who bore him three sons. And the book sort of focuses on the daughter of one of those sons and some of the other black women in their lives, covering the 18th century up to the 20th century, uh, from Charleston to Philadelphia and Boston and more. And Greenwich wanted to tell the story of the Grimke sisters that is not told how their vision of the end of slavery did not include equality for black people, which is something that is often left out when people talk about them. It sounds really fascinating, and I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy. I also want to point out that Carrie Greenwich is the sister of Caitlin Greenwich, the author who wrote We Love You, Charlie Freeman, and Liberty. So... I'm very excited to read this. It is The Grim Keys, The Legacy of Slavery in an American Family by Carrie K. Greenidge. And before we hear Vanessa's next pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. All right, Vanessa, what do you have for us next? My next pick is actually another one that came out last week that I realized this morning, but you know, whatever. I'm still really excited. So I'm going to talk about it because I loved the first book in this series. Um, so this book is A Restless Truth by Freya Marsk. Okay, so this is the second book I did in the series. The first one was A Marvelous Light. The series I think is called The Last Binding. I think it's a trilogy, if I remember correctly. 
it's a queer historical fantasy series and a marvelous light was just fantastic. I loved it so much. Um, so this book does have like a, a common character. So Maud, who is the like budding suffragette sister of one of the characters, the main characters in a marvelous light is now the main character in this book. And it is like a magical whodunit and like a quest to find and protect this magical item. And it all takes place on a boat plus sexy times. Um, so Maud Blythe, who again, we met in the first book, has always kind of wanted adventure. And so she decides to take up this post where she like, she basically she volunteers to serve as a companion to an older lady on an ocean liner going, I think back to England. I can't remember this part, but so she does it to help her older brother from again, like, the first book to unravel this magical conspiracy that began like a long, long time ago. But literally within, like, I think the first day or so of this, you know, ocean liner trip, the woman that she's supposed to be companion to, it turns up dead. <laughs> so now she has to deal with uh, this part. I'm going to read directly from the publisher's copy because I just think it's funny. It's a dead body, a disrespectful parrot, and the lovely, dangerously outrageous Violet Debenham. The disrespectful parrot part. Absolutely. Got me. But anyway, so Violet is a lot of in a lot of ways just everything that Maud has been taught not to trust but she is an actress and just like attracts a lot of scandal and she's again like this a like, very big personality so she's drawn to her and you know those kinds of ways and they're also trying to solve this mystery because the woman who died was also apparently in possession of this like very super special item that they need to go retrieve but like Maude has literally never seen said item, so that's going to be interesting. But they, she's going to have to work together with Violet to hopefully unmask this murderer and get this magical object that is apparently worth killing for. And it's all, you know, again, takes place on this boat. So I, I love it. It's, you know, not quite locked room, locked locked boat. <laughs> um, I just, again, the first book was so great. And if this is anything like the first one, like the sexy times are very much on the page to the point where I had to like prepare myself for the first one because I did it on audio and absolutely caught myself listening to it a couple times in public and making faces. Um, so anyway, I cannot wait. I really love, love this style of writing and the magic itself in these stories is really fun too. So again, that's A Restless Truth by Freya Marsk. I think it was the author who first announced it and said that this was a queer fantasy knives out on an ocean liner. Yep. And I was like, sold. Yep. Super sold. I'm on board. I can't wait. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. My other pick for today is Legends and Lattes, a novel of high fantasy and low stakes by Travis Baldry. This is another one of the book talk success stories. This was, I think, put out by a small pub. It might have been self-published, but I think it was just like a very tiny publisher. And book talk grabbed it and ran with it. And it did so well that Tor picked it up and is putting it out in a new edition today, um, which is always exciting. We love a success story in the book business which, you know, is hard because there's 8 million books published every day, roughly. Something like that, I think. So I keep wanting to call this, like, such low stakes. And I realize that's because it's right there in the title. I'm like, don't say that. Like, that's already there. But this is just an adorable queer fantasy. If you are looking for a palate cleanser, if you need a warm hug, this is the book for you. It's about Viv. Viv is an orc barbarian who has lived her whole life as a warrior, taking jobs, beating people up. You know, she's a warrior. And she decides that she's going to do this one last job that's going to bring her in a lot of goodies. Uh, and then she's going to switch careers. 
So now she has this tough job. So, you know, obviously you think she's going to put her skills in combat to use, right? Like, what is she going to do next? Be an army commander? A junior high teacher? No. Viv wants to take her savings and open a coffee house, which is just so cute. And now I'm, like, thinking World of Warcraft and, like, coffee house and Stormwind. But anyway, so this book is really just about an orc warrior attempting to open a coffee shop on her own. It's a wonderful fantasy novel about how starting a business is hard and how scary it can be to switch careers and how it's not too late to chase your dreams. It's told from Viv's point of view. Uh, she has to find employees. She has to convince the locals to visit her shop. She has to keep the local riffraff and people from her past from causing trouble and making it harder for her to do what she wants. And it's about finding love and finding your people and building community. This book really is the equivalent of a warm cup of cocoa that you would get at Viv's shop. I want to point out that this book has 19,423 ratings on Goodreads as of right now. And it has an average 4.42, which is unheard of, basically, for a book, you know, to have this many ratings and still be that high up in the forest. It's just bananas. Um, and I do want to give a content warning. It does have some mentions of violence and sexism. But again, like if you just need a break from everything and you're like, I don't know what to read, this is the book for you. It's Legends and Lattes, a novel of high fantasy and low stakes by Travis Baldry. I too want a warm hug, so I will read that. Well, you need to read this book. You're just going to have to read all my picks today. Sorry. I know I really do want to read every single one of your picks today. That's like not an exaggeration. <laughs> Fine. Um, I will wrap us up with my, or like this part of the the deal with my last pick, which is one that I've I've partially read, and that is A Whiteout by Danielle Clayton, Tiffany D. Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon. So if that group of authors and you know, the concept of what I'm about to describe sound familiar to you, it's because this is the second book that this group of authors has come together to write. Um, and they've done so with the intent once again to you know basically talk about black teens falling in love. And so the first book was Blackout and took place during like a sweltering New York City summer. This one takes place in Atlanta during like an epic winter storm. And whereas Blackout, if I remember correctly, was think um, every chapter was like dedicated to a different teen's story. This one is um, there, you know, each chapter is written by a different author, but it's all in service of like one kind of story. And it's about all of these friends kind of banding together to help one of their friends with a love quandary. That quandary is that their friend Stevie, who has recently, I think come out as non-binary, has had a girlfriend, has a girlfriend, had a girlfriend, <laughs> and that girlfriend invited her over to a dinner at her family's house. It was supposed to be like their big kind of coming out dinner to um, Sola's Nigerian family. And Stevie, who is this big science geek, essentially reveals that like she's been do or they've been doing an experiment on biochemistry to like essentially prove that love is like a biological response that's built into the human brain for survival and it just goes catastrophically and Sola is basically like wow thanks for you know ruining this dinner for like making it out to sound like just you know again not like a thing that we have chosen to do with one another and if you don't you know make this right like she basically gives her an ultimatum like we're gonna break up 
And that's like where we start at the beginning of the story. And then each of these chapters after that is of the friend group that is going to try to help Stevie pull off this like epic gesture to get Sola back. But again, this is all while the city has ground to a halt because this is an epic storm. But, you know, they still want to make this epic apology happen in the middle of said storm. And so... You know, lots of magical moments, I, I believe, are, are coming my way. I'm only about a quarter into it. But I just love that these authors have gotten together again to write stories about not only Black joy, but Black love. Because, you know, there there are... Thankfully, I think we're seeing a lot more of this sort of thing. But for the longest time, it felt like if you were looking for books about a marginalized community, it was books that are centered on pain. So it's really nice to be able to pick up a book that is not about that. It's just about teens being teens, going through very teenage things and, you know, first love and navigating all of that uh, with lots of, again, those warm hug feelings. And it's a great holiday read if, you know, you are a person who likes to do that, which I absolutely do. So yeah, I can't wait to finish this one. That's White Out by Danielle Clayton, Tiffany B. Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon. Speaking of Daniel Clayton, if you went to buy The Rumor Game by Daniel Clayton and <laughs> Sona Charapatra, which I mentioned was out in paperback last week, and you were like, where is it? Liberty said that it was in paperback. I, You are not mistaken. I did say it was in paperback last week. When I recorded the show, it was showing as being in paperback last week. Uh, but it's now been sent way into the future for reasons I don't understand. They've given it a date in 2027, which I'm assuming is just a placeholder and hopefully it will be available in paperback sooner than that, but we'll have to see. Uh, so yeah, sorry about that. Obviously I don't set the dates, but you know, I just wanted to point that out in case you were like, I thought I heard that, but I don't know. So I'm going to mention just a few paperback releases that are out today. And then we're going to talk about what we are going to read next. Out today in paperback from hardcover is The Man Who Lived Underground by Richard Wright. This is the previously unpublished novel about race and police violence by the author of Native Son and Black Boy. And yet, poems by Kate Bear. This is Bear's second full-length poetry collection. Her debut poetry collection, What Kind of Woman?, was an instant number one New York Times bestseller. Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics by Dan Shaughnessy. Totally in the Liberty Wheelhouse. Mentioned it when it came out. Loved this book. Loved the Celtics. Loved basketball. This is about the Larry Bird years from a Boston reporter who covered the team. Sex Cult Nun, Breaking Away from the Children of God, a Wild Radical Religious Cult by Faith Jones. Jones grew up a member of the Children of God, an oppressive extremist religious cult. And this is her story. Uh, if you like The Vow... Uh, this is definitely a book for you. And paperback originals today, starting with Team Photograph by Lauren Haldeman. This is Haldeman's graphic memoir about the park in Virginia where she played soccer as a kid. Fables and Spells, Collected and New Short Fiction and Poetry by Adrienne Marie Brown. This is Brown's debut collection. It's 70 Afrofuturist short stories and poems. I was a big fan of her novella that came out last year, I think, called Grievers. Uh, and they, uh, she has some other stuff, um, but this is her first collection. And Man or Mango, A Lament by Lucy Ellman. Lucy Ellman is the author of Duck's New Report, that enormous, enormous novel that came out a couple of years ago and is now being made into... I can never remember if it's TV shows or movies anymore. Uh, anyway, Kate Blanchett is making it into something, which is very exciting because Kate Blanchett is a goddess. Uh, and this is a story of two lonely people. It's an unusual story of unrequited transatlantic love. Now, Vanessa, what are you going to read next? 
Oh, you're totally cheating. I see that. I see. I had to because I literally downloaded it while you were talking. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm not lying. I literally was on my phone silently doing it. I have to read even though I knew the end because I just really love Seal Bulk so, so much. And I totally, yeah, I I just need to do that. And it's so short. It's like so tempting. I could just like bust that out today. Um, So that's going to happen. There's like this part of it that like I really enjoyed this certain element in books uh, which I've discussed before, but because they don't talk about it in the description, I don't want to give it away. But, you know, maybe you and I can talk about it later. Oh. Uh, or maybe, you know, in a few years when it's okay to spoil the book, we can talk about it. <laughs> oh, man, now I'm really... Okay, well, I'm going to text you when I finish it. <laughs> uh, and my other one that I did... I'm sorry, I forget to put in here is just that I am also going to read um, Paris Delancourt is About to Crumble by Alexis Hall, which I cannot remember when this actually comes out, but... It came out last week. Okay, good, thank you. So it's a follow-up to, oh my gosh, what was the first book? Uh, Rosaline Palmer Takes, takes the, the cake. cake. Yes, and I loved that book so much. And I'm Alexis Hall is like, he's an auto-read for me now. So that's the other one I'm going to read. Yeah, and so prolific. So. Just, just wildly prolific. So I want to read everything all the time. I, I'm really in the mood for just a, a detective story. Uh, but I haven't found the one that I want yet, so I have some other Same. things I'm working on. Uh, I just got the book that no one wanted to read by Richard Iowardi and illustrated by Tor Freeman. Iowardi is the actor, director, producer, writer, just amazing all-around person from the IT crowd, I should start with. Like, he's just so funny. His sense of humor is amazing. I watched his intro at the BAFTA Awards, and I just love him so much. Uh, and this is about narrated by a book that no one wants to read, um, which looks really fun. And I've also started The Wishing Pool and Other Stories by Tanana Reeve Du, which is her first book in seven years, which is pretty exciting. They've reissued a couple Ooh. of her older things, including The Between, which I'm halfway through. I'm just reading it. I'm just going to read everything and just start everything, I guess, and then maybe finish <laughs> some things. And I am also... Almost finished with the Matthew Perry memoir. And my review of that is, this is a book that I have read. So um, <laughs> that is that is what I have to say about that. Uh, and that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com and tell us what you're reading. You can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you download your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And we love book lovers. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.